Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service this morning. It's good to see you all here. Um, You might remember that last week we had our harvest and we were thanking God for the things that he's given us. It reminded me that my mum always used to say, whatever you do, remember your pleases and your thank yous. Wherever you go, remember your pleases and your thank yous. And you know, it made me think also that when we come before God, we often remember our pleases. Please could you do this? Please could you do that? But we forget our thank yous. We forget to thank God for all the wonderful things he's given us. So I want you just for one minute to think about one thing this week that you want to thank God for. Something that has happened. It doesn't have to be brilliantly wonderful. It can be just that God got you through a situation. To remember that just for a moment. And then we'll bring our thank yous to God before we later bring our pleases to him. So I'll just give you a minute to think about one thing this week that's happened. You might want to talk to someone next to you about it. You might want to keep it to yourself. There are lots of things that happen. Oh, heating's gone off. There are lots of things that happen during the week that we can thank God for. There's lots of things we see. There's lots of things that we do. There's a little thing that says this. The whole world is singing a song. Have you heard it? The wind is whispering it in the trees. The rain is dancing it on the rooftops. The whole of creation is singing it out together. God loves us. God made us. God is so very pleased with us. It's the song that has been sung since the beginning. The song God created everything in his world to sing. It's the song without words. It's the song you were created to sing too. We forgot our song long ago when we turned and ran away from God. But Jesus has come to bring us home to God and give us back our song. So let's join together and sing our song together. We're going to have some worship time as we come before God and we thank him for all that he's done and we worship him together. Creation sings the wonderful love song of God. We look around and we see all that God has created. Now time for the children and young people to go to their different groups for us to find a comfy spot. I got black currant, I don't know about you. You black currant? Hello, comrade. Hi. Hi. Guys, um, I've made a bit of a mistake, semi on purpose. Now, as you guys know, to run a church like this requires a lot of people to volunteer and such. Um, so I want you guys to think about it, because I'm going to go up with a group of young people now, but I need somebody else to go up with me. I'm sure somebody's going to stand up now, but I want you guys to think about maybe that is you next time when we need somebody to help out. Okay. Um, so, yeah, send me on purpose. I've made a mistake here. Um, I hope you'll forgive me. Um, Sean wants to come and join us. Yeah. I know, you see how hard this is? But it's a lot of work. Oh, okay, here we go. All right, thank you. Thank you, Andrea. Thanks, Andrea. Sorry. It's nice to have Kirsten here, by the way. I did forget to say, I'm so sorry. 
Kirsten, who's leading our worship this morning. It's good to have you here. Kirsten's normally at C3, but uh, some of you might know she led the summer praise, Pentecost praise. We call it different things if it's at different times of the year, and it's good to have her here with us today. It's also good to have John and Sylvie here, friends from London. John's going to come and um, speak to us in a few moments, um, and it's good to have you with us as well. I have forgotten to take up the offering, as you know happens. Um, so John, if you're able to announce that in the final hymn, that would be great. Or if it's not announced, then we'll just take up the offering in the final hymn. Wonderful. So organised. Our reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 2. We're working our way through Ephesians. We've got to chapter 2 and John will be speaking to us in a few moments um, on verses 1 to 10 which say this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable great riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'd like to invite John to talk to us this morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, I always enjoy my annual trip north, so it's good to be here again, though it was a bit longer ago than normal. Last May, I think, 2016. But it's uh, really good to be here. I noticed you had a heart there, and in my Bible, I've got a heart, which Kate did a long time ago when she was at Herne Hill in one of her family services there. And I can't for the life of me remember what it was all about. But I've got it there. Hearts are always good. So when you're preaching a series, and there are always passages in a book you don't want to get, and there are those you would be delighted be delighted to get. So I was very delighted to be told by Kate that our passage for today would be Ephesians two, one, ten. One of the most amazing passages there are in the Bible. So we're going to look at that. Now Sylvia, it's my wife, and I were going on holiday to Cornwall. We love Cornwall. But it was a horrible grey day, and the rain was pouring down. 
And as usual, we had started off very early to avoid traffic, so we stopped off for a coffee at Bodmin. When we left, it was still pouring with rain. So I turned into the road and started driving merrily along. Well, perhaps not merrily because it was pouring rain, but I was driving along. Uh, It was not until we had been driving for about 15 minutes that I saw a sign for London. And I realised we were going the wrong way. This was before sat-navs, of course. Not that sat-navs always help. Um, So I had to turn around to get back on the right road to Cornwall. I thought I was on the right road, but I was on the wrong road. And many people today think they're on the right road, are even happy being on that road, but they are on the wrong road. So after chapter one, Paul asks the Ephesians, as for you, what about you? In the light of what has been said before about Jesus, you were on the wrong road because they were following the ways of the world, following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. It doesn't say it's Satan, but it's difficult to see who else it could be. As Paul so told the Colossians, this is the way you once walked before Jesus came into their lives. In this wrong way, they were affected by their environment, the ways of the world, They had an inclination towards wrong, the cravings of their sinful nature. And there was a supernatural power, powerful opponent, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The world, the devil, and the flesh. They affected the Ephesians, and they can affect us. The Ephesians, before Paul came and preached the gospel of Christ to them, were satisfying the desires of their sinful nation nature. They did what comes naturally. And because of this, they were object of God's wrath, of his anger. In this passage, and indeed if you read the whole of the Bible, there is nothing good to be said about the state of the human race. And when Paul says we in verse 3, he includes himself But he also includes the Jews as well as the Ephesians, the Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles and Paul and you and I are objects of wrath, children of wrath, because they were and we are sinful. They were deserving of divine judgment. God's holy anger against sin and disobedience. Later on in this chapter, and here I'm slightly treading on the toes of whoever's doing uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and so on, Paul specifically speaks of the Gentiles as those excluded from Israel, separate from Christ and foreigners of the covenant of promise, without hope because they were outside the covenant promise of God and without God in the world. A stunning and terrible description of people who don't know Jesus Christ as their saviour, without hope and without God, Godless. 
It's where we get our word atheist from. And it was used by the Gentiles of both Jews and Christians because Jews and Christians didn't have idols, so they must therefore be atheists because they didn't have anything they bowed down to. So they were godless. Now many people today are without God, though there are many gods. They are atheists and they need God and Jesus as much as the Ephesians and the Jews did. So what was to be done for these people who were without hope and without God? They may not be without money or ambition or power or family or friends, but they are without hope and without God. What was to be done about these people on the wrong way? Well, from this despairing look at the human condition, Paul changes gear and tells us what God in Christ has done for us, done for our condition of sin and our disobedience. God will not stay out of the picture. The initiative was to be God's as it had to be. We are not in a position ourselves to do anything about the state we are in. It is God who has taken every step necessary for our salvation. Now Paul was making it clear that humanity was not necessarily as bad as it could be, but it was as bad off as it could be in the sight of God because of its sins and trespasses and disobedience. They were dead in transgressions and sins. Clearly not physically dead because they're walking around, but dead to God and dead to the things of God. They were separated from God. There was a chasm between God and these people. They hadn't recognised Jesus yet as their saviour. Now we cannot come to God on our own. There's an old song, an old chorus, He Lifted Me. And the truth is we can't lift ourselves up to God. I cannot lift myself. You cannot lift yourself to God. But we read in Ephesians 1.4, but God chose you. He did it. He's the one who said it's you. You didn't say you're for me. He said, he said you're for me. He did this before the world began, we read. So it couldn't be for anything we had done or may do. Everything is down to our God's initiative. And it's because of his great love for us. It is God who is rich in mercy, love that is generous and unexpected. Unexpected because it's lavished on the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Jews hearing this would have been shocked. How can God lavish his mercy and love and grace on Gentiles? Surely they were forever outside the kingdom of God. But Paul says, no. Because of his great love for us. Because of God's great love for us. So it's God who's rich in mercy. Love that is generous and unexpected. It is God who has made us alive with Christ. That's a a marvellous phrase. He's made us alive with Christ. We're no longer dead in sin. We're alive with Christ because he's in our lives. And it's God who's raised us up with Christ. Not just us, but raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Now, some of the uh, commentaries I read talk about 
does this mean? What's the later things, the eschatology of all this? Are we in heaven now? Or are we going to be in heaven then? I don't think that matters too much. What it means is that God has chosen you in Christ. He's lifted you in Christ. He's raised us up with Christ. And he's seated us with Christ. They're the things to hold on to. And I think as a lot of the New Testament, it's now and not yet. Some of it is now and some of it is not quite yet. But why has God done this? Again, we come back to the love of God because of his great love for us. We're reading 1 John. God is love. And he did it to show his incomparable grace and his kindness to us. I love that word, kindness. It has a lovely ring to it. It means you're doing things to people who don't necessarily deserve it. You're helping them when they don't necessarily deserve it. And this kindness has been shown to its greatest extent in his son, Christ Jesus. So he made us alive when we were dead. He's put us on the right way when we were on the wrong way. He's made us to sit with Christ in the heavenly realms. We have been transferred from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. If you know Jesus Christ today, you are in his kingdom. We live in this world, and that's quite right. God created the world. He created you, he created me, created all that we see. And creation is good. But we're also in a kingdom of God. And this salvation is all God's doing, none of ours. There's nothing we can do towards our salvation. It is by grace we have been saved. It is by grace God's favour towards us, free, unearned and undeserved. That's what grace means. It's something that we do not deserve, that we are saved so that we cannot point to any work or merit on our part nothing that we have done it is by grace alone even though it is through faith that itself is a gift as is grace it is the gift of God now the reason we've got a, a church here Baptist church the reason we've got a Church of England church up the road is because of verses like this said it's by faith you have been saved through grace not of works when Luther read the same words in Galatians, that started the Reformation. That started the truth that we cannot make our way to God. We cannot come to God by what we do, by what we say. We can only come to God because God chose us. And through faith and through his grace, we come to him. It is a gift of God. An unearned gift, but something God has given. And here we are and here we are told that salvation is God's gift to us. And I for one am grateful for that. I'm sure left to my own devices, if God didn't do those little nudges, those little callings, I would not have become a Christian. It is this immeasurable love of God that saves us, that love that has been poured into our hearts. And why does Paul say it's of all of grace, 
not of works, so we don't boast. So that we don't say, look how good we are, that's why God saved me, because I'm so good. We can't do that, because we are in no position to boast. It's not because we go to church, or we read the Bible, or we pray, or we do good works, or even being born into a Christian family. None of that can save us. Only the love of God shown in Jesus Christ on the cross. But how did God deal with this position, this problem of sin? How did God deal with the way that we are on the wrong way, that we're going the wrong way and not the right way? How did the grace of God show itself? Because something had to be done about the gap there was between God and us, something about the sin that the world was in. Sin had to be dealt with. And again, I'm treading on whoever's preaching next week. Um, So you can take notes if it's you, Kate. Um, um, The solution is set out in verse 13. Those who were far away, those on the wrong way, would be brought near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what uh, the Lord's Supper is about. It's about Uh, Jesus Christ's body broken, his blood shed for us. Um, So it's through his body broken and his blood of Jesus Christ. Now blood means more than just the liquid that flows through our veins, which went through the veins of Jesus. It means everything that Jesus did for us on the cross, taking our sins upon himself because there was no other good enough to pray the price for sin. It is, it is his blood shed on the cross that gains his redemption. And his resurrection shows that he's defeated the power of sin, death and hell forevermore. We are liberated from our imprisonment and bondage to sin. That's what we remember every time we meet round the Lord's table. So if we are on this new way, which I pray you are, the way of God and the way of Jesus, it should make a difference. It should mean that we're actually going the right way and not the wrong way. It means, Paul says, that we are God's workmanship, created in Jesus Christ. There are good works, there are things for us to do for the kingdom. Um, chap who came up <laughs> talked about volunteering. There are things for each of us here today to do for the kingdom. There might not necessarily be within the church set up, but it might be. There are things that God has planned for you and for me that he wants us to do because he's called us into his kingdom. There are good works for each of us to do. Now, they're not the reason for our salvation, but the fruit of our salvation. They happen because of what God has done in our lives. There is therefore a purpose in the life of a Christian we are created, we are God's workmanship. Someone said we are what God has made us and we are made to do good works. And these are prepared for God, so by God for us to do. So our job is to pray, look out, say, well, actually, yes, that's what God wants me to do here and now 
Perhaps not in a week's time or a year's time, but that's what God has for me today. And these aren't the works which Paul talks of in verse 9, which cannot bring us salvation, but works for God and his glory and are according to his purpose. So we're not chosen by God just because he loved us, just because he has grace for us, just because he's an immeasurable mercy. We're not chosen just to sit down in a pew. We're chosen for a purpose, and that's to follow the way of God that he has for us. So this passage shows us, I think, in a vivid way, the contrast between what we were and what we are now in Christ. Before, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now we are alive in Christ and raised up with him. Before, we were following the ways of this world. Now we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Before, we we were under the lordship of Satan. Now, Jesus is our Lord. Formerly, we were children of wrath and disobedience. But now, we are saved by grace. So that is what we are. Now, we all know that we don't always meet up to these great ideals, that sometimes we do walk the ways of this world. Sometimes we still disobedience, sometimes we still sin. But in Christ and what he did on the cross, all that has been dealt with. And we're living in the good works he has prepared for us. So this is a marvellous passage. I've only just skimmed off a little bit of what's there. But it sort of leaves some questions for us. What way will you take? Where will you live? The grace of God in Christ is freely available to anyone who wants to accept him. We do have to come to Christ if he's calling us. God in Christ wants to lavish his love on you. My prayer is that you don't reject that love that Christ in God, God in Christ wants to lavish on you. Can we just sort of be silent just for a moment to think about some of these wonderful truths in this great passage of Paul.